This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Every Step Along the Way podcast. Uh, As always, we're back, unfortunately, going to be talking about a defeat, but hopefully at least looking forward to a win maybe this weekend. Um, As always, I'm joined by the uh, one and only Dan Buxton. Dan, how are you, mate? Good week? Um, Yes, I mean, as per usual, plenty of uh, bugs going around my my house of many children. (laughs) It seems to be a regular occurrence, doesn't it? Um, So yeah, I feel a bit under the weather this week, however... I'm sure three points against Hull will brighten my week up on the weekend. I'm sure it will, mate. And obviously it does help uh, having the the Von Trapp family. Uh, I don't know how many kids you've got these days, to be honest. I lose track, but I'm sure you probably do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, good to hear it's still been a, an OK week. Um, and also welcoming to the pod, uh, Liam, who has, uh, well, if anyone who's been listening for a couple of seasons would have heard Liam, I think, a couple of times. Uh, so, Liam, welcome back, mate. How have things been with you? Hi, boys. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm um, I'm here in Barcelona. Uh, it's raining this week, which is unusual, but still, nice city, nice place, and uh, happy to be on the pod with you. And thanks for giving up your time, I appreciate it, especially if you're in Barcelona. I mean, Christ, there'd be so much better things to do than speaking to us, to be honest. So all, all credit to you for that. Um, yeah, so let's get on to, of course, Luton um, at the weekend. I mean, safe to say it was obviously a, a disappointing 1-0 defeat, let's be honest. Um, I mean, Dan, one thing you called out, actually, and you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but didn't you say that, strangely, the team who had the more possession um is the team that typically loses this game. And as it was, uh, we had more possession than Luton. So it doesn't look like you were too far off. Yeah, it seems to be a regular occurrence now, doesn't it? Is that, is that something like five games in a row did a highlight last week where the team with the higher possessions lost? And it seems to be like quite a big gap as well. It's not like it's 52-48. You're talking like high 50s, you know, 60 plus and losing the game you know, every time. So, yeah, it's... Um... Obviously, two sides there who who are more, um, I should say, better suited to not having the ball, aren't they? More uh, lethal, if you like, when they when they haven't got the ball. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it showed for us all season, though, hasn't it? That all, a lot of our wins have come when we've uh, let the opposition dictate the play and that, and we've sort of you know sat in and then um, you know exposed gaps that they've left from, from obviously having possession and working their way up the field and. It's been a it has been a problem with Stoke for a long time, hasn't it? That 
we struggled when teams sit in against us and let us have the ball, we lack the creativity to break them down quite often. Yeah, exactly that. And I don't know about you guys, but I mean, Liam, I didn't think there was actually all that much in the game, to be honest, mate. I think it was a, a very close-knit game. There wasn't any team who particularly did amazing. I think Luton quarters probably a little bit cold. Um, and although, yes, they scored early on, they managed to keep hold of the ball. I can't really remember many clear-cut opportunities. I mean, there was a Obviously, the goal was disallowed, which was rightly disallowed because it was a clear foul on the goalkeeper. Um, but I don't really remember seeing any other opportunities. I don't know about you, but I think it was a pretty much non-event in terms of our our clinical play, if you like. Yeah, I think it's been the story of our season, really. This slow start to games, poor maybe coming into the game and falling behind early or not, not getting a strong foothold in the game. Once we go behind, we seem to have this mental blockage and inability to then go at teams and pick a pass or you know a bit of skill a bit of creativity to get back into the game and um it's it's cost us a lot this season and I mean Luton are a good team and I guess we have to remember that this season that they've probably beaten a lot of teams with this counter-attacking in-your-face style but you know it, it felt like a real crash back down to earth and a reminder for us that we are where we are because we keep finding ourselves in these positions where we're behind early on and up against it. And that's something that hopefully now that we've got a new few new faces in that maybe the manager will be able to address. But there's obviously still a lot of work to do there. I was going to say, is is that the issue then? Has it been personnel uh, most of this season? I mean, I suppose we're thinking about the players we brought in, you know, Selena, it's still very early days with him, obviously the goalkeeper doesn't really massively affect things. I think we'd, we'd probably all say that we're happy with um, you know, the new guy, although he was a little bit shaky at times, I thought. I don't know about you boys, but um, he didn't seem overly confident. But you, you've got to forgive him that. Um, I mean, Christ, Bonham and co have made enough mistakes over all this time. So I think, yeah, for, for me, mate, so you, you're kind of saying that this was very much more of a, a personnel issue. And do you think it is as simple as that? I mean, a lot of people have called out you know, obviously Alex Neal's style of play or, you know, he's been banging on about wingers and we've got no wingers left. So um, is, is it a personal issue or is it a style of play issue or is it a bit of all the above? I think it's, I mean, the, the easy answer is, yeah, it's a bit of all the above, isn't it? You know, we've got we've got ourselves into a situation again where we're, we're overstocked in some areas, we're short in others. We've got this farcical situation with seven players on loan, and that's you know that could that could come back to haunt us when we're having to leave certain players out that should be in the team or at least in the squad. I think there's there's hope now that especially if we wait for you know Ben Pearson and um, a couple other players to come back from injury that maybe maybe there are players that don't have this this head drop after we go behind and especially at home because then the crowd turns and we find ourselves in this vicious circle of well, what do we do now or here we go again. It's it's a real bad situation to be in for us because there's people calling for young players to play, but do you really want to throw them into this situation? We, we just need to, we need to find a way to grind out four or five semi-decent results, couple of wins, couple of draws and just give ourselves a bit of breathing space just to just to get over this this real rut that we're in at the moment and have been really all season and certainly it hasn't Neil hasn't 
had the kind of impact that certain managers have had. I think basically, you know, everyone's had a new manager bounce except for ourselves and, funnily enough, Southampton, I guess, where the bounce has been about as flat as a plate of piss, really. <laughs> I've not heard that one before. Um, yes, uh, I'd probably agree. I mean, Dan, obviously Liam mentions them about the fact we've obviously had seven loans, which we're all very aware of. Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit surprised that we're still sitting here with seven loans. It was it was kind of hinted to in the Sentinel, and I think it was a bit of common sense to think that we would have made a couple of them permanent. Um, are you quite surprised that we, we haven't gone and done that yet? Um, not not now, since the manager came out and said you got no plans to do it. Um, however, I was surprised to hear him actually say that. Um, I think they're a bit stuck in which ones they can do because I think they can't really do Ben Pearson, can they? Because he's got 18 months left on his contract. Um, obviously, there's no point doing Twan Zibi yet because he's not he's not match fit, so there's no point. I suppose they'll probably wait and see if they can get him. You know, because obviously, if they give him a contract now and then he breaks down and gets injured again, then they'll think, well, they're now stuck with a player, aren't they? That's maybe got another injury. Um, so yeah, we've been there before. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to make him a permanent one yet because he's not actually ready for the match day squad. Um, Smallbone again, he'll be going back to Southampton. Uh, Selena, is he going to be available? Uh, Sterling, it, I suppose they're really struggling where which ones they can convert. To be honest, um, a lot of the parent clubs may not be too keen to to permanently let go of them at this very moment. Um, I can't see um, Sterling getting another contract at Chelsea, but you know, do you like to hang on to the players a bit, don't they? <laughs> so he could have an, yeah, he could have another contract in the off in there. I was going to say, I mean, the, the Chelsea just keep hold of fifty thousand players, don't they, and then see which ten they want to keep at the club over the next. I mean, how old is he, Sterling? Um, is he under twenty-three? He is, isn't he? I'm just going to, to have a look for you. Um, I think you're right. I think I think he's quite a young lad. Um, he's twenty. He's, he's born in nineteen ninety-nine. So, yeah, he's twenty-three years old. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was going to say if he's under twenty-three, then obviously he wouldn't. If he was to leave Chelsea, even if he was out of contract, they'd be due compensation for him, wouldn't they? Um, yeah. Which you'd imagine they'd try and get a decent amount. So we, that that would have put a block on us maybe taking over his contract unless we were willing to pay a fee. Um, but the fact that he is already 23, possibly, might be able to get that one done. I just think that the options might not be as clear-cut as we maybe first thought whether some of these loans making them permanent. And also, probably worth pointing out that, as of yet, none of them have exactly shone. So are, are we even sure that we want to keep all of these players? All seven could be very average and not worth keeping, and then we send them all back. I mean, I think Selena is obviously a, a, a potential permanent signing. That's that's the deal um, at the end of the window. But I, I don't think that's compulsory. I think that's an option. So, yeah, I guess they also don't want to take the risk. I think the problem that, that Alex is going to have is who he doesn't bring into the squad. I mean, you could probably argue that um, Henry, as we've been asked to call him, Mr. Hoover, um, we, we, we could probably assume that Tom Edwards is coming back in a few months. So 
we could probably easily drop him out of the team if we needed to because we've got cover. But I don't know. I mean, are we then sitting in a scenario where we're going to have Sterling, Henry and, you know, Edwards who could all play right, right back? I mean, the other thing is now that Timon's injured, I thought that might have um, prompted us to, to look at signing one of the, the lone players on a more permanent basis. But that doesn't seem to be the case. And of course, it's we've heard this week that he's out for weeks and not months, so they might just bide their time until he comes back. But And as you said before, you know, Henry Hoover, for example, who's come here, he's... He's not got the the great reputation from the Wolves fans. So, do we want to take a risk and put him on a 15, 18 month contract if he's just going to be another, you know, another in a long line of poor signings? Yeah, so, it's very disruptive, it appears, doesn't it? So, do you want him around the place? Like, yeah. We've got to be careful now that they've come here on loan to play as well. So, are we just going to have someone moping around the training ground who, you know, oh, I could have, I could have been in could have been moping around the Wolves training ground rather than the Stoke City one. But here I am now. And if that's going to seep through to the dressing room and are we going to have another situation of players sort of in open revolt against the management and then against the fans? And it, hopefully it'll all work out. Maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic, but um, certainly it's it's certainly become a bit of a strange situation with these these handful of lone players now that how, how are we going to manage this? And I guess... Hopefully the manager's got a plan. Um, I, I'm not quite sure that he does, but I'm, I'm hoping he does. I think your feelings are valid, mate. I think we've all been here before so many times in the last five or six years, haven't we? You know, we think we found the solution, then we get let down. So I, I, I get it. I think I get where you're totally coming from. And um, I mean, in terms of the goalkeeper, let's very quickly touch on him. I, I think a few people tried to criticise him for the goal. Could he be at fault for that one? And it was a little bit far out. People saying, could he got it down a little bit sooner? Um, if I'm honest, the angle that I saw it at, um, I don't really want to comment per se, because I think I would want a behind the goal view of whether his actual eye line was a bit um, blocked, if you like. Um, other than that, I don't think he had to make loads of saves. There was nothing really um, of, of concern. I think, like we said, it was a bit of a, no, I wouldn't say non-event game, because Obviously, there was, it was still eventful, but there really wasn't much in there. So it wasn't a game where he's had to go and, and save 5, 10, 15 shots. So um, I think for me, the jury's still out on him and it will be for for a bit of time yet. Um, he needs to stay in this team until the end of the season and then we can judge him. Uh, we've had enough of, of Bonham and co fielding we've never even seen. So we need to hang our heads on um, on. Uh, now. It, there's no other solution, so we, we need to back him, um, and, and hopefully he can be as good as he as he talks. Yeah, and the other thing is as well that if Bonham had played that game and he'd conceded that goal, people would have been straight on at him. Maybe fairly so because we've we've been in that situation several times with him. But he's this. We've got this guy now. He's come with a good reputation. He did well for Birmingham by all accounts. So. Goalkeepers need a run of games, don't they? You can't you can't just keep chopping and changing after every half mistake or every oh, should he have saved that, shouldn't he? And that's we did get into that situation with Bursic and Bonham. And even when Adam Davis was here as well, we seemed to have a 
have a revolving door policy of goalkeepers and that that's no good for the defense that's no good for the keeper it's no good for anybody so i agree with you i think we need to stick with him unless he's unless he's awful but um fingers crossed that he's not and that he can put in some consistent performances for us you took the words out of my mouth that I was about to say, just like Bursic, because his, uh, his parting shot to Michael O'Neill was he kept basically swapping managers, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, funny you should uh, funny you should mention that. Um, I mean, I don't want to kind of dwell too much on this because we've had a, an awful lot of topics kind of sent to us, if I'm honest with you. I think we've kind of covered that game to the extent it probably deserves, if I'm honest. Um, but Dan, obviously, man of the match uh, polls, um, how were we looking on that front? Again, I must admit, I, I've fallen out of the habit of checking. I've checked, I check early on, and then I actually lose it when the results due. So, uh, how were we looking? Uh, well, in first place was Sterling with thirty percent of the vote. Uh, second place was Lorraine with twenty-one percent of the vote, and then Sarkic was in third with two percent of the vote. Um, quite a lot. Thirty-three percent put no fecker. Um, okay. The fa- fans got two percent. Potmus got one percent, and fifteen percent said uh, the spineless first eleven, which I think is a bit harsh. People, you know, Luton, Luton as we've said earlier on, they're yeah you know, they're a pretty decent side. You know they've got some good results. They're fourth in the league, unbeaten since the World Cup, I believe, when there's one defeat. But still, Rob Edwards has done a great, great, you know, great job since he's gone in and turned it around. Um, got them flying up the league. You know, cemented themselves in then playoff positions now, I think. And they're a very awkward team to play against, aren't they? They make they make you look bad as well with how they play. You know, quite similar to how we were, you know, what, fifteen years ago. We you, you the um when they play well, it makes the opposition look look poor in respect. And uh, yeah, so I think they were a bit harsh for me that called them you know, spineless first eleven. Yeah, I think you're right. That is what they do. And we were in that situation for a long time that whenever we beat a team, the opposition fans would say, oh, well, it's just two poor teams, a bad game. And well, that's that's how they want it to be, isn't it? That's They want that. Um, they want to bring it down to these like moments where you, you just win a game in the first 10 minutes, for example. And I think, uh, I'm funny man of the match that, I think... Uh, no Fecker must be on for player of the year at this rate. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think let's, let's, let's leave the game there. Let's move on to um, a few more um, interesting topics. Um, so I put a post out. I was just asking if anyone wanted to, to discuss any particular bits to, to let us know. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I expected maybe one or two. and Everyone's very vocal now on Twitter and Facebook. But um, still... I thought there would be that many. We got inundated. So, Luke, if, if anyone's comment ha- it hasn't been mentioned, uh, it's only because we don't want to make this a two-and-a-half-hour pod. So, um, first up, and not really any any particular order, if I'm honest with you, but um, Dan Burgess and Ben Burgess, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are related or not, but, um, yeah, both of them asked similar questions. So, wanted to know our thoughts on Ricky Martin. You know, I think we've probably all seen the uh, the interview that you know he did in the week. Um, I'm going to be honest; I think it was um, good to hear. I still saw a lot of criticism, one of those kind of damned if, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't type scenarios. But I mean, people have been saying the club's been silent; we have no idea of any vision. They come out with something, and people are still not happy. Now, yeah, it would have answered everyone's questions, but I mean, Liam, what what was your thoughts on on what he had to say? 
Yeah, it was um, somewhat interesting, I suppose. You know, a lot of business buzzwords in there, but a bit of substance. Um, of course, he's not going to go out and attack the club financially or the transfer history, given that he's just walked into a job under well, the Coates family and Alex Neal now. He's been here since November, I think. So we can't really judge the kind of job he's done too much on two or three months. He's he's come in, he's assessed the FFP situation and the lay of the land. And like you say, he's out there talking to our media team, which is a good sign. I think one problem we had under the previous personnel in that position or in similar positions is that they did lack visibility. They would disappear when things were going bad and disappear for uh, six to 12 months. And we've seen in front of cameras and hopefully we'll continue to see him semi-regularly at least. If we if we judge on the January business, obviously the FFP situation seems to have proved we're now in line with those rules apparently. So although by the sounds of what he said, we were in a very perilous situation if we're relying on funds coming in from Harry Suter's World Cup performances and FA Cup progression because neither of those were guaranteed in December. Um, but obviously the outgoings we knew were going to come, come along. Um, so hopefully we're through all that now and he's got a big summer ahead because he's made a lot of, not promises, I guess, but a lot of bold statements about the directions he wants to go with transfers and so on. So, yeah, big summer ahead for him. You kind of, um, to the words out of my mouth again, that <laughs> around, you know, well, to be fair, a, a lot of what you were saying around you know, the FFP and the fact that we didn't need to sell, uh, well, it sounded like we needed to sell Suter, but I'm, I'm with you 100%. Me and Dan discussed this like last week. There's no way we could have gone into this window you know, expecting Harry to have had a good World Cup to put him in a situation where he could have been sold to then get us on side with FFP. It, I don't know if it's it's wording, but that absolutely makes no sense to me. There's It, it is ridiculously risky to, to try and go down that route. Um, I've got a feeling he, he maybe didn't mean it as black and white as, as that. I think the way that I initially heard it was that we needed the 500k and then ripping up some loans to get on side with FFP but I think because he mentioned the Harry stuff in the same sentence of, I don't know if it's just been confused or mis- misconstrued but I just can't I, I can't see how we've relied on the Harry body no way I think what um, he meant was that Stoke were receiving money for his performances for like maybe appearances at the World Cup um, not necessarily how well he played or or anything like that, but for every game he played for Australia, perhaps Stoke got a little bit of kickback from that. But again, that's, you know, Australia, obviously they were always going to play him unless he got injured though, or if they didn't make it out of the group. So it just surprised me that, and it's same with the FA Cup money, you know, he, he said that that was one of the reasons. Well, if we'd have drawn Luton away, for example, we might not have made it through the first, uh, the third round, and then again we don't get the prize money for that. So maybe we've we've gathered a bit of luck there, and the Joe Bursic money as well has helped us. But uh, otherwise, I think we would have been heavily relying on the the Suter money, and then maybe we would have seen him go for a lot cheaper and perhaps sooner than he did do. I mean, Dan, we mentioned obviously money and and Suter money. I mean. Again, a separate down, I think it was, and also Stoke Bears asked around the FFP and what the summer may hold. I mean, do you think we're going to be in a situation where we can go and spend 5, 10, 15 million? Or do you think it's going to be a little bit tighter than that in the summer? Uh, hopefully not on one player. <laughs> Don't go down that route again. No, definitely um, not. I just hope that the that they budget it sensibly this time and don't leave themselves where in 12 months they're going, well, 
got to watch the next three years now after that. <laughs> so Because it's been a long time coming, this sort of, you know, um, seeing the clouds sort of part and, and, and a bit of sunlight coming through regarding the finances. And I think it'd be a shame to waste that. And I hope that they are clever enough, sensible enough, and have learnt the lessons with that to to make sure that although they want to back the manager and the funds are possibly there straight away to back him, that they, that they aren't just sending themselves down another black hole in eight, you know, 12, 18, 24 months' time. Um, because that, like I say, it'd be a real shame if if we did that. If they haven't learnt the lesson by now, then there's, there's no help in them. Um, I mean, Christ, surely they've, they're, they're, got, they're never going to poison that scenario again, you would hope. Um, and kind of linked, but not necessarily transfers. I mean, again, we've been asked around our thoughts on the pressure to start Tez Gallon low. Um, again, obviously, it means if we do start them and they work out well, then we don't need to worry about trying to sign 5, 10, 15 million pound strikers um, in the future. So, I mean, obviously, Emre, we, we saw him and Lowe do really, really well in the week. Uh, Emre's back heel was, <laughs> was just, just great, let's be honest. It, it was a brilliant goal. Um, are we in a scenario now where Alex Nil's really going to have to give, especially Tezgal, maybe not so much Lowe, but Tezgal, he's got to give them an, an opportunity now, hasn't he? Because if they keep scoring and they don't play, they are surely going to be eyeing a move in, in the summer and maybe a permanent one at that. I mean, the pressure's on now to, to from the fans to do, make that. It's a tough decision and he hasn't really shown, I'm talking about Neil now, hasn't really shown much um, willingness to, to throw in younger players. The problem we've got now is that the opportunities to, to blood the younger players have all been and gone. We, we had cup gains against lower opposition. You could have given minutes in that. We've even had a won a game at least where we've been comfortably in in control in the Reading game and um, he could have brought them on a bit earlier then. We we haven't sent them out on loan to Leagues 1 or 2 um, and we don't find ourselves in many games where we are comfortable and can bring them off the bench. So do we blood these youngsters in a tough run-in where we're desperate for points? And And if we do do that, does that then make them not they would never I don't think they would ever be targeted individually by the fans, but then do they just become cogs in this dodgy wheel that stunts their own progress? I understand why certain fans want that to see them in the team. There's people who aren't happy with how Brown's performing. Gale hasn't really produced Campbell's inconsistent. Um it is a big gamble and Neil sees them more than we do in training. Um it was a lovely goal in midweek, you're right. I would like to see more minutes. I don't see them starting games. Um, I see maybe minutes here and there, especially if we can pull ourselves away from the bottom three, which is you know by no means um, a given at this stage. Um, and if they were to come in and be the answer to all our problems, that would be great, wouldn't it? And then again, we, we start to think, well, these guys might be worth 15, 20 million. And perhaps at that point, we don't have to cash in on them. We say, look, stick around for another year or two get yourself some game time and then either either you progress with Stoke or you start looking elsewhere and perhaps at that point you'll be you'll be a much more valuable commodity. So who knows? Yeah, well I think it was Lowe who was linked with Newcastle United, if I remember rightly. Um so if if there was any truth in that link, of course, then it's something they'll be keeping tabs on. And if Lowe keeps knocking in, you know, hat tricks and 
two goals a game t- till the end of the season, then it's going to be very difficult not to have his head turned um, where they may, or they may, they actually may offer him a, a route into the Premier League. You know, you, you never know. It depends on much faith he'd have in him. But I mean, Dan, we've spoken about these guys on numerous occasions. Are we reaching the pinnacle now where they, at least, as I said, at least Emre has to play? Um, or are fans, in your opinion, still being a little bit impatient? Yeah, there's no... I'll, I, I know I, I say this every time, there's nobody who uh, champions youth involvement and bringing youngsters in and gets excited by it more than myself, but they're 17 years old, and I understand if they're good enough, they're old enough and all that, but at the same time, there's there's different types of 17, there's... Like Emery's, you know, he's he's massively ahead of his schedule. You know, he was fourteen playing in the under sixteens. He was fifteen playing in the under eighteens. He was sixteen playing in the under twenty threes. He's seventeen years old. He started, you know, he's been involved on a match day regularly. Is he is he better than Tyrese Campbell? Do people generally think he's better player than Jacob Brown? No. Is so why should he be playing in front of him? I don't... That's, the, that's, mm. the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, and I'm not saying that he won't be, but he's 17 and he's got... He, he's playing so well in the, in the youth football because he's of people, obviously, like physically in that. You wonder whether he just needs to physically mature before Stoke chuck him in because what it can do is it can really set his progress back and and harm his long term um, credentials as as, as, a, as a real top class footballer that he's threatening to be, if they put him in there too early, just take well, his time. The manager will know when he's ready. Let him physically develop and be ready. By and that that will come because he's training with the first team, so he's he's learning all the time with them from experienced defenders, experienced strikers like you know, Gale and people like that who he's playing with, who he's training with. And did you? He, 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 as long as he's dipping in and getting a few minutes there. And as for the as for the thing of him leaving in the summer or looking, you know, maybe I'm not getting a chance here. I'm going to move. He's 17 years old. It really, really shouldn't be expecting a demand either of him or Low shouldn't be demanding to be in the first team squad at 17 years old at any point. Do you know what I mean? It's a long career. Well, it's 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 a short career, but it's a long career at this point for him. He's got you know another fifteen um, to twenty years in front of him if he plays it right. But if he doesn't, uh, you know you can you can have too much too soon, and physically then that can hamper your your career going forward, both like I say physically and mentally. I mean, one player guys, and it's funny. Oh, sorry, then go on. Sorry, yeah, it's. I was just going to say a quick point. But it's funny we were talking about Dujan Sterling and. We talk about him as a youngster. Well, he's got six years on these kids, hasn't he? And they are kids. Yeah. Um, so six years of football before this, and they'd still be considered youngsters. So there's a long way to go before they're... Knocking on the door, near. demanding and, to leave. Yeah, and I've read, the, I've read the comments, you know, about, oh, well, you know, Rooney didn't have to worry about that and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, well, that was Wayne Rooney, you know. It's putting a lot of pressure on a kid to say, oh, well, you, you know, the... The England all-time leading goal scorer of his time didn't have to wait until he was 19 or 20 to get first-team appearances. Well, no, but he was a once-in-a-generational player, and maybe Tesco is, but 
that's a lot of put pressure to put on a kid, isn't it? The thing as well, Liam, is I was talking there about physically. Wayne Rooney was a man at 16, let's be honest, wasn't he? Hmm. You know, he, he physically, he could go in and he could bully defenders and he could put, you know, he, he, he was, he, he physically developed into a man at a very young age. And, you, you know, if, if you haven't got that, especially as a striker, you're going to struggle. And if he goes and plays, if if he went, if the mind chucked him in now for the next eight to ten games and he hardly got a kick because he just physically defenders just, you know, chewed him up and spat him back out. What's that going to do for his confidence long term? Let's not forget as well, guys. We've just let Liam Delapko, who was uh, the next big thing, and you know scoring goals for fun in the youth ranks. He's twenty years old. He's had three matches for Preston. He's scored none, assisted none. In his last match, he had ninety minutes and had one shot. So <laughs> that's a player that was raved about um, and scoring goals for fun. But he still hasn't been able to hit the ground running. He's twenty years old, three years on Tezcal, and arguably has been at a better academy than ours. So it, yeah, it just shows, doesn't it? And he's, he's had minutes and games for Manchester City's first team. And he's still come here and not been able to produce the goods on a regular basis. He's a big lad as well. Yeah, and he physically is, is a big player, yeah. Uh, moving on, I think, a little bit now, just to, to try and wrap this little mini-section up uh, in some respects. So, uh, obviously, since we last recorded, of course, we were, I think, joined, obviously, to Brighton in the Cup, and today the Cup tickets have been released, and uh, incredibly, the, the club are doing a kid for a quid again, which I'm going to be saying... I think I'm very surprised that they've done that. Yes, it's on TV, and I guess that might be a, a main factor behind why they decided to do it. Um, but, you know, good on them, good on Brighton for obviously agreeing to it. Uh, but Kid for a Quid, I think, is um, is really good. I think it, I think I may have read that they're opening up just a couple of the stands. Uh, I think it's probably a good decision. I, I still don't think we would fill it, especially with it being on TV. Uh, and especially being a midweek game, I think there's a few obstacles. So either way, good good on the club for doing it. Um, 100% it'll help. Yeah, quarter past seven kickoff as well, for anyone who hadn't spotted that. Yeah, quarter past seven, proper random. Um, but I guess it's all about all about TV, isn't it? Um, uh, yes, ITV4, here we come. ITV, yeah. That's the first time we've been on ITV4. Quite possibly. Um Anyway, Dan, under 18s, under 21s in women's, mate. I think there's been a, a few a few updates this week. I mean, we've already discussed probably partly one of them uh, with Emre and uh, and Lowe, but any, any other updates for us? So, as we uh, mentioned just, they travelled to Wolves in the Premier League League Cup uh, this week uh, for a last 16 tie there and uh, won 3-2. So, yeah, it was a bit of a topsy-turvy game. Uh, but yes, low and low scored one, and Tesgal got a brace, including uh, you may have seen on social media a very cheeky back heel to win the game for Stoke. Uh, the nice thing as well was that Low set Tesgal up, Tesgal set Low up. So what do I know? Saying that I don't think they could play together very well. <laughs> Seemed to um, play them all right then. <laughs> <laughs> um, this week, the under-21s travelled to Aston Villa on Friday night, so if you are listening to this podcast on release day, uh, this isn't old news. If you're not, then it's already gone. Uh, so yeah, 7pm Friday, we're we back in league action. So we are down in 11th place out of 12 in the league, uh, but this is only the third league game they've played since November the 7th, because they've been in about 74 different cup competitions. Uh, but they've all sort of petered out now. 
Um, so yes, we've got back to league action. Like I say, trip to Villa. So the under 18s. So they went to West Ham. Uh, so they played West Ham this week, didn't they? In the Youth Cup, uh, lost four one. So West Ham obviously hundred percent record this this season. Uh, I think it's something ridiculous, like nineteen wins in a row. Absolutely, um, probably the best team. You know, Jesus. the worst team we could have faced. Should I say the best team at this <laughs> level? Um, but yeah, they run out four-one winners, and our youth cup adventure comes to an end. Uh, and this week they are also in league action, where it's fourth versus sixth. So we are fourth in the league, and we host sixth-placed Wolves on Saturday, eleven a.m. at Clayton Wood. Um, so that should hopefully be a good game. Uh, and the women, so the women lost one nil to Brighouse Town last Sunday, uh, which unfortunately is their fifth league loss on the bounce now. Uh, but they're hoping to get back to winning ways this week when they host Liverpool Feds, which is Sunday 2 p.m. kickoff. And in fact, five of the next six Sundays uh, see the women's team at home. So uh, yeah, for people who are looking for something to do on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, next five and next six weeks, two o'clock, you'll see uh, Stoke women playing at home. Good, and hopefully we'll see um, obviously Lou back on the uh, the pod as well at some point. I know that Lou is extremely busy, isn't she, Dan? Uh, I think she's uh, she's she managing the first team and the reserves team, if I remember rightly. Uh, yes, and there's quite a few roles that have been put up on the on the official site for different coaches, goalkeeper coaching, fitness coaching. Um, so yeah, she's. She's been looking after both the first and the reserves at the minute. Um, so, yeah, she's very busy. That's why you've not heard her on here for a while. <laughs> Quite clearly, just needs to get her priorities in order, really. I mean, it's a podcast. <laughs> no, obviously, we'd say that tongue-in-cheek. But, yeah, no, Lou, I'm sure, will be back when, uh, rightly, you know, she needs to focus on the job at the end of the day. So, absolutely fine. Um and Dan, obviously, in terms of loanee updates, I mean, again, I know we're on the hunt for maybe a couple of fresh ones, but um, any other particular updates on that that front? I think you said you might have had a, a bit of a scout around. Yeah, so I, I just had a little peek at uh, DeMarco Dehaney. Do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously he went off to Turkey, didn't he, at the start of the season? Um, he struggled to get into the Istanbul Spore uh, side at the first um, but then he played a couple of appearances in the cup competitions uh, a few months ago. And since then, he's played six 90 minutes out of the last eight games. So, yeah, he's played nine appearances in total now. But uh, he's definitely sort of cemented himself a place at right back uh, in recent times. So, yeah, it's interesting now. Like I say, he wasn't in the team at first, just you know, knocking, his, knocking his heels about kind of thing. And got a chance in the cup and he's took it with both hands and... Now he seems to be the first choice right back, so well done to DeMarco. Yeah, it's good to good to see how he's getting on. I think he was one of them players once. He never kicked up a force. He was never he was never an idiot, you know. He, he, I think he knew he was punching above his weight. I don't think he was ever really um, a top championship defender. I think we can all probably agree on that one. Um, but yeah, you can't really fault the guy. He's not. He's doing his best wherever he is, and maybe he's maybe he's found his his level now. Yeah, I think he was one of those players. One to you, he was better without the ball. If you get what I mean, like when when he was good defender, uh, but then when he had to have the ball and sort of go forward, I think especially when he had sort of Tommy Smith as the comparison, it was like night and day to see what Tommy Smith was capable of 
with the ball at his feet and what the mark of the Haney was. Um, but yeah, I said, well, I said, good luck to him. Hope he does well. And uh, I think his contract is up in the summer, so we probably won't be offering him a new one. Uh, he'll probably just end up, like I say, searching around for a club. I imagine. I mean, to be honest, mate, I've forgotten he was even contracted to us. Uh, genuinely, like I, I did, I thought we just released him. That's how much attention I've paid that one. If I'm honest with you, well, um, him and uh, Mario was the other one, wasn't there? He had twelve months left on his contract. Yeah, Francis. The same with him. Yeah, could do with him right now. To be honest, a bit of creativity in the midfield. Yeah, well, there, there you go. Next week, find out how Mario's getting on. Um, okay, lovely. Any further topics you guys want to discuss, either of you, before we move on to Hull? I'm all good. No, good. All right, lovely. Let's talk about Hull. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Dan, um, let's kick off with you this week, mate. We'll save the audio for in a, in a minute. Um, Stats-wise, how are we looking? So, we have played Hulk 73 times, 34 wins, 19 draws, 20 defeats. At home, we've played them 38 times. We have 21 wins, 10 draws, and just the seven defeats. Now, nice. Would you like some very nice statistics? Go on, make a change. Yeah. We are unbeaten in 10 home league games dating back to 2006. We've won the last seven home games versus Hull, scoring 16 goals and conceding just two. Ooh. Wow. Okay, that's so, it's better than I thought. I didn't, didn't think we were bad at home against them, but I didn't realize we were that good. Yeah. So um, interestingly, uh, both teams to score, Mark. I know you like a bet on that, don't you? Uh, yeah. Only five of the fifteen games between these two sides, going back to two thousand nine, have seen both teams score. <laughs> well, um, I won't be having that because I never have stoked in any form of best. <laughs> it guarantees the leg that lets you down. So. Um. So I'm interested was Jacob Brown has won all five career appearances versus Hull. And Lewis Baker has scored three in three games versus Hull in his career, who are the only championship club he has managed to score more than once against. Uh, Stokes' home form has them 21st in the division with 15 points from 14 games, uh, whilst Hull's away form sees them 12th in the away table with 19 points from 14 games. Over the last five games, Stoke are 18th in the table with just three points. Uh, and have lost four out of the last five matches, whilst Hull would be sixth of the, over the last five games with ten points, and have lost just once since the World Cup, which is a, it spans about nine games now. Uh, although Stoke have scored 33 to Hull's 37 goals, um, they do lead the Tigers 372 to 318 in shots. So Stoke have had a lot more shots than Hull despite scoring less goals, and have had 123 on target to just 97 for Hull. So, 
um, on that that's basically Stoke need an extra shot on target to score every time. Hull score one in three. Stoke need four shots to score. Uh, well, it's quality over quantity there, quite clearly, isn't it? Yeah, Estupinon from for Hull. He's the second top scorer in the league with twelve goals, but a recent run of sixteen games without a goal uh, has contributed to his uh, to a run of where he has scored five in his last twenty four matches. Don't you worry, we'll help you out with that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lewis Baker is Stoke's top scorer. Uh, and he, but he has just won in his last 21 league games, which was a penalty against Birmingham. Uh, and that run predates a brace versus Hull in September. OK, so overall, some good stats there, actually. I think it's the the previous good history versus Hull's current form. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm not... I mean, I'll, we'll get on to predictions in a sec, but I can't say I'm overly too concerned about this weekend and I'm not quite sure why, uh, whether it's blind optimism or, or what, I don't know but um, how are we looking for the ref side of things mate, it's not Gavin Ward again is it? No, <laughs> although I have seen for the Huddersfield game next up, he is the fourth official, which the fact they've made him fourth official for the same fixture where he nearly let one of Stokes players be you know, be, be maimed last season and gave a throw in and the, the FA is like, yeah, you can you can be involved in that game. Get yourself over there, Gavin. It's all right. Wind him up a bit. <laughs> Make him sit between the dugouts. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll have the pleasure of him against Huddersfield. It's a fourth fish, anyway. But, yeah, the referee for this one, back on track, is Andy Woolber. So, this season, he's ref mm. 22 games, 81 yellows, three reds, one penalty. Um, in 11 championship games this season, only two home wins. Six draws and three away wins. Uh, refereed Stoke once this season, which was the 2-2 draw at home to Cardiff in December. Uh, whilst these one whole game this season was a 2-1 home win for them against Wigan in October. Uh, nine Stoke games in his career, three wins, five draws, just the one defeat. So he's been quite a good ref for Stoke, like I say, just the one defeat in nine. Yeah. Um, He's refed Hull six times in his career and he's, they've got three wins, one draw and two defeats. Uh, all 15 matches that he's ref Stoke or Hull, no red cards. Well, we've not been sent off at all this season, have we? So no, we have not. The Hull well, ben Pearson might be playing, so that'll solve that problem. <laughs> um, and he's, he's also refed at the Bet365 Stadium on five occasions and Stoke are unbeaten in those, with three wins and two draws in those five matches. So... He doesn't like to be on the wrong side of the Stoke crowd by the looks of it. <laughs> Good, yeah. Well, that doesn't sound too bad to me. Uh, we'll we'll definitely take that all day long, I think. And um, I mean, I'll uh, I'll let you guys think about your your team selections uh, for a few minutes. Um, in the meantime, let's listen to Kieran, who's a Hull City fan, who's been obviously been in touch around his thoughts around the weekend, and we'll follow that up with uh, Gray McGarry with his regular prediction. Uh, let's see, obviously, what both of them have had to say. Hello, everyone. My name is Kieran Webster, and um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Hull City. Um, I just want to say a big thank you for allowing me to come on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. What should you expect from the style of player from Hull City? Um, we are very much a team that likes to pass out from the back. Under Liam Messini, I think um, 
even since his first game where we managed to draw 0-0 against Millwall with 10 men. Um, yeah, I think the players have really bought into it and they really know what they're doing. Um, and yeah, Liam Messina since he's come in has been, you know, brilliant for us. You know, we've one point off relegation when he came in about three months ago and we're now four points off the playoffs and we've only lost two games. Um, there is quite a few draws, but we've won a few as well. Um, so yeah, I think Liam Messina is definitely doing better than Shotter Avaladze at the minute. But going back to style of play, yeah, we do like to pass it out from the back. Um, sometimes we do make a mistake, and then like can't can't remember who it was. Um, but we passed out from the back, and then just got the ball, and then scored. Um, so yeah, if, if you you know if Stoke do press us, um, you might catch a mistake out of us. Um, well, saying that, we can go long as well sometimes if needed to. Um, you know we've got Oscar; he just seems to be getting better and better. Um, you know, joint second top goal scorer, so hopefully you can get another one. Um, so yeah, that leads me on to key players. Key players, um, got to be Oscar. He's, you know, to say we've got him for free. Um, he's been brilliant this season. And um, there was interest from the Premier League teams in like a few weeks ago, but nothing came to it. Um. And yeah, my overall prediction for the match, um, I'm going to stick with Hull City's sort of goodish away form to continue. Um, I say goodish because we lost to Sheffield United in the last game. But I'm going to say a 2-1 Hull City win with Oscar and I'm going for Aaron Connolly to score as well. Here we go again, you Potters predictors. An interesting home game coming up against Hull City. On Saturday afternoon, a team that's really hit form since Leroy Rossini has taken over the hot seat. It's going to be a difficult task for Alex Neal's side, but he's getting a bit of confidence. And hopefully the home crowd will be right behind them. And I don't think they're going to lose this one. And it's a rare selection this weekend, you Potter's predictors. I'm going Stoke City nil, Hull City nil. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much indeed. So, um... Kieran, yeah, you've you've gone for a um, two-one Hull win. Kind of expected. It's very rare that any opposition fan comes on here um, and predicts their team to lose. I think Dan said uh, earlier in the season that Swansea were the only team to do that. Um, so hardly a surprise. But yeah, you've said the style of play. If we can kind of get at you and pressurise you, if you could like to play it from the back, which we did, obviously with uh, Dwight Gale. Uh, the other week, which led to a obviously a goal and a, a nice victory. Um, so maybe that is the, uh, the the perfect plan, and obviously for Gail to to kind of come in there and and, and maybe do the same again. That'd be quite nice. And uh, Graham, yeah. So you've gone for a, a boring nil nil, which I must admit doesn't actually happen all that all that often. Uh, and uh, yeah, Liam, I'm sure you'd probably agree from listening to the pod, mate, that um, it's very unusual that Graham doesn't go for a Stoke win, is it? It is. It's uh, it's worrying times when even even Graham's the, the the best he can manage is a nil nil draw. We've ground him down over time. You know, he's. Uh, <laughs> I think he'll stop doing them soon. But um, speaking of that kind of prediction table, Dan, um, whereabouts are we on on the, on the league table? I've been leading, I think, pretty much all season, but it was getting a bit too uh, too close for comfort, to be honest, in the week. 
uh, last week, it was just the two points were scored, and that was to the opposition fan who rightly predicted a Luton win, but he had 2-1. Um, we all went for draws, didn't we? So none of us scored any points. Um, so the opposition fans have got 23 points so far this season. Me and Graham have both got 31, and you are still two points further down the field with 33. I'll take it. I'm keeping my head above water. Um, I'm going to be honest, I know we normally do this later on, but uh, as far as Super 6 has gone, I've got. A, I've had a miserable week. I've had four points. Um, I've been hovering around four to six points every single week, which means like I'm in like 64th. I have 106, so I'm not doing too great. Uh, but one thing I will call out, Mr. Daniel, you've had a brilliant week. You had 11 points, and you are actually joint top scorer for the week, along with Matthew, Paul, Nathan, and Sam. So um, uh, you very unlike you. Do you know what I did, right? Because I'm in 80th place here because I keep forgetting to do it. I had a look, 14 weeks I've failed to do it. <laughs> so wow. I worked out, if you average my points out on the weeks I did do it, if I'd have done it every week, I'd be fourth. <laughs> really? Okay. So Not bad, should, not bad. Maybe I should have remembered to do it all those times I didn't and forgot. Uh, and Liam... The whole World Cup. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say that you didn't realise the World Cup was on, did you? But, um, I mean, Liam, are you, on the, are you in the Super 6 League? There's that many people in there, it's hard to keep track. Hey, I think I started, and as as the, I do every season, I, I kind of petered out after two months. <laughs> I, I do exactly the same thing. Um, so I, I, I've looked at my gaffer, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a bad person for looking at the gaffer fantasy football. Um, I just, I've been hovering around 35th pretty much all season, um, and I know like the last week I didn't, I didn't even check my team. I've dropped now to 37th. Dan, you've rocketed. You've gone up to uh, 27th uh, spot. So uh, you've done you've done really well on all fronts, I think, this week. Um, Jack Curran's still top with 2,293. Stoke Gaffer, 2,240. And Pookie Blinders, 2,179. Um, all of which, I think, have been up there all season. Uh, clearly 10 times better at it than we are. Uh, certainly 10 times better than I am. Um yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I need to either get out, get my head in the game, and start doing it, or or give up like uh, like Liam has. I think. Well, you're only fifty one points ahead of me in Super Six. Uh, that's my target now. I've got to try and claw that back between now and the end of the season. Well, it's certainly going to take long. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Like, <laughs> I've as again every week I've been averaging, averaging fours or sixes. Um, I don't think I've had more than eleven all season. So. Um, you will be very hot on my tail. Um, looking at kind of the game again, so team selections. Liam, I'm going to come to you first uh, here. So are you making many changes from the game against Luton? I mean, I assume that maybe the likes of, you know, Ben Pearson may come in, for example. Or... Well, you kind of feel like we're going to switch to a back four now with... Um time and house injured perhaps um, which would, would bring back our old friend um, Fox uh, which is not the most optimistic of moves but I think that's what we'll probably do um, you could move Sterling to the left I guess um, I don't know if Powell is going to be fit I don't know if um, Pearson's going to be fit I would like both of them to be fit and both of them to start if possible. Would you have Powell over Selena though? 
No, I'd have them both. I would okay. have um, Baker, Lawrence, and Powell, and then Selena behind Campbell and Brown, personally. Um, whether he'll do that, whether whether all of them are fit, I don't know. Um, it remains to be seen, I guess. But um, I would, if Powell's fit, I would play Powell. Um, I don't think Neil has shown much um, faith in him. But at the same time, I feel like Powell plays well against Hull. I don't know if I'm making that up, um, but I feel like he has done a few good performances against them. But, you know, by the, by the sounds of Dan's stats earlier on, it sounds like everybody does. So perhaps perhaps we're going to win 6-0 and um, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful weekend for us. So you're going 4-3-3 then based on that team? Yeah, or four three one two. Four three one two. Yeah, whatever variation you want to turn that into, I suppose. Yeah, you could play Selena and Campbell in the sort of the wide forward positions. Um, I, I would. We need we need positive start. We need early goals. We play a lot better when we score first and when we score early. It settles all the fans down. It settles the play down. We saw against Reading and. Albeit against weaker opposition, we saw it in in the two cup games that if we take the lead, we're a much better team, and um, it, it's very important that we start on the front foot and that we look threatening in the first ten minutes. And really, that first goal is so important in our games, and, and we have to get it if we want to if we want to kick on and, and put in a full ninety minutes. Well, I was going to say, I think the I can't remember the exact stats, but I swear I saw it somewhere. It was, it was either out of 74 games, I think we had like one, I can't remember now, it was like four or eight games where we've gone behind. Um, so I think you're spot on, mate. I think it's absolutely vital uh, that we score first or about the very, based on those stats, uh, we are not going to win the game, which we definitely need points. So, I mean, I'm sure Dan's got something up his sleeve on, on that front. Uh, no doubt is Mr. Stato. Um, if not, I'm sure you'll find it. But uh, you're spot on. We need to score first. We were. I was surprised to see Hull at 12th in the league. I thought they were sort of down where we are. But having won those two games, they're, they're four points off the playoffs. And, you know, Dan was talking about the last five games and it's, they've had a decent run. And that's just something we haven't managed to do this season. They also had a new manager bounce as well, which, again, we haven't managed. I think no, we're not allowed that. Just, no. just a couple of things there, Liam. Uh, the Nick Powell stats for Hull that actually hit the cutting room floor on this one. <laughs> um, he's played them six times in his career. He got four wins and scored four times against them. So there you go. Yeah, so he does like, and obviously it's a former club of us as well. He was on loan there, wanted from Manchester United. Oh, of course. Um, so yeah, that might contribute to Nick um, feeling in the zone when he plays when he plays Hull. Um, but yeah, there's that, and uh, I can't think what the other points I was going to make there as well. Uh, do, have we heard anything on whether he is fit, Powell? By the way, is it? Or, 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 don't we, I've do we? I've heard nothing. I mean, typical Alex Neil, though, isn't it? Really, we never really hear anything. I think the Sentinel reported that he might be back in full training this week, but I don't know if that means he's ready for a match or not. So, because. I think Twin Z being that it basically it's just a lack of match fitness, isn't it? That's because he hasn't played for such a long time. Standard. Um, so you discount him. Who's the other loney that misses out for everybody? Um, Henry the Hoover. <laughs> so yours is Henry. Are you? Is Henry out your squad as well, Liam? 
it, it has to be either him or Sterling, I guess, doesn't it? Um, and we we kind of know what we're getting more so with Sterling. So I think, yeah, um, Hoover's, Hoover's back in the cupboard. <laughs> oh God, his cord's been. Uh, that's just not going down. We we could do this all season. That's not do it. <laughs> um, well, if you think that two of these loanees have got to miss out, and then we've got eight first teamers out on loan, or eight first team squad members out on loan. Uh, obviously, Fielding won't get a game because he's sort of third choice keeper. And then you've got Klukas, Timon, Twinzibi, Taylor, Edwards, and probably maybe we don't know, Powell as well, all missing the game. That's quite a few players there isn't it, who, who aren't available um, come the weekend. So, and I was actually putting my team together and I, was, I went to actually look for subs as well and I think we're struggling, you know, like there's there's literally, I think we may see a new face on the bench this weekend just, just to fill the, the numbers up, to be honest. Um, I mean, I've gone for Sarkic in goal, Sterling, Jagielka, Wilmot, Fox as a back four, same as same as yourself, um, Liam. If Pearson yeah. is fit and available, then he'll sort of anchor the midfield and I'll let Baker and Laurent play in front of him. Uh, if it is that Pearson isn't, then I'd bring Smallbone in and uh, obviously he can play at the head of Baker and Laurent and just switch it around like that. And then I'll have Campbell on the right, Selena on the left and Brown down the middle. Mm. Um what that actually leaves is Gale, Thompson, Bonham, and it depends, obviously, if Pearson plays, then it's Smallbone or Hoover on the bench. Um, obviously, if Pearson isn't fit, then him and Twin CB were the ones who miss out. So it's Gale, Thompson, Bonham, Hoover slash Smallbone on the bench, and then you imagine it's going to be Tesco and Macari again, and then another, which I suppose, is it going to be Nathan Lowe? Um Ben Kershaw's been playing well. He's sort of you know an attacking midfield or midfielder, should I say, sort of a box to box type for the under twenty ones. Um, so he might get that you know as, as a different option in midfield because get that last role, or even Liam McCarran. He obviously signed from Leeds in the summer. Um, been playing for the under twenty ones after a loan spell at Vale. You know, obviously we are we're short of uh, left footed options in defence, aren't we? So maybe you'll get the get the nod as the as the extra substitute. Do you even remember him coming back, mate? I mean, maybe I did and I just dismissed it quite quickly, yeah. but I don't even remember Karen coming back. Nothing was, I nothing was sad. I think he I think he picked up a couple of injuries. Uh, he, had, he went injured, didn't he? Then got fit, got in the team, picked up another injury. <laughs> um, and I think he came back to Stoke and I think that he never sort of went back. I think Stoke just said, oh, we'll keep him here and they were sort of mutually agreed to stop it. Right, okay, well, yeah, I mean, he, either either he's good enough or he's not, we need to cut ties at the end of the season if, if he's not good enough, I mean, what a, what a disaster with us, us and signing players that get injured is insane, it feels like we're the only ones who are on the receiving end, I'm sure we're not, but it just, just feels like we're constantly getting bad luck on that front. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's, obviously he was brought in... I, he was brought in as competition for time, but I don't think he was brought in as immediate competition. I thought you know he was twenty years old, well twenty twenty one, and it was one of them where you know he's shown a bit of potential. Um, 
you know, he'd obviously played for Leeds and he played a game for Leeds last year. Um, he had a few, I think he started off at Carlisle, if I'm right. He played a few games for them when he was really young. And I think it was like, yeah, Leeds is probably a step too far. Go to the Championship. Maybe it might take him 12, 18 months and a loan spell out somewhere to get him, get himself ready. But he, there's a decent player in there. So I wouldn't give up on him yet. But he does probably need to do something in the next 12 months. I think another another loan, maybe the fail while it was convenient, um, wasn't the right level for him. Maybe he does need to drop down and, and earn his stripes and, and maybe come back up. Um, and like you said, we're not exactly rich on that side, are we? No, so this it might just be... I mean, let's be honest, let, let's all remember, Josh Timer was an absolute walking disaster. Yeah. His first game to the club, wasn't he? Um, and now now, now when, he's, when he gets injured, we all sort of... You know, the the heart sinks, doesn't it, when you see him go down like he did last Saturday. Um, whereas, like I say, for the first probably three, possibly four years he was at the club, um, you dreaded seeing his name on the bench, let alone on the pitch. So, But he's, 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 he's done wonders to turn his career around. So you just got to give these young players time. They all mature at different ages, don't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so score predictions then. Uh, what are we going for? Liam, as the guest, mate, you go first, please. Well, I'm going to... Let's be optimistic. I've been quite negative so far. Let's let's hope everything clicks like it kind of did against Reading. Um, good goalkeeping performance, good good attacking performance. Selena, man of the match, 3-0 Stoke. Wow. Oh my God. You can come again. <laughs> I won't be invited again after we lose. <laughs> don't you worry, there's been enough guests who have got it wrong over time. Me and Dan get it wrong every week. so Well, I don't get it wrong quite clearly. But... If we barred guests after we lost, we'd have nobody to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, I'm going to go for 2-1 Stoke. I'm going for the flip of what Kieran said earlier on. Um, I don't think we're going to lose. I genuinely do think we are. I think too good is a very strong word, but... I still think we've got enough in the locker, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, I've got to say a relatively comfortable 2-1. Dan, what are you going for? Um, I think that it'll be a tight game. I think the switch to about four will sort of take a bit of adjusting to. Um, Hopefully Ben Pearson plays, and I think if he does, then I think we'll see Lewis Baker as the best player on the pitch. Because I think he'll just do exactly what Joe Allen did for Be- for Baker last year. Simplifies his role, lets him get on doing with what he's good at. Uh, Pearson and Loren can tear around and kick people up in the air. Loren can do his box to box stuff. Pearson can do all the dirty work and the nasty stuff he loves doing. And Baker can just look forward and try, like I say, do the what's best for him. And I think we all are going to win one nil, and I think it will be a Selena bit of magic. Bit of Selena magic, all right. Interesting. Um, okay, I mean, have you got any other elements you guys want to discuss? I have a quiz for you. You'll like this quiz. Yeah, I thought you do. Have you noticed? I try and sidestep it every week. You won't want to sidestep this one. You'll like this one. It's about your okay. idol. Seeing as he's retired this week, and he's also done a podcast on under the cost. Oh, like, mate, how have we not? Enjoy. How have we not mentioned that Tony Pulis' brilliant, bloody interview? So good, 
full of stories. The best thing I've watched in a long, long time. So, yeah, I don't know how we didn't mention that earlier. Yeah, it's a really, really enjoyable listen, and uh, you can tell the love and and the, the care and everything that he, the feeling he still has for both the Stoke as Stoke as a club and and as a city and, and the people of the area and as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. I noticed how he said he's not going to go into management again, so that may mean coaching. Maybe uh, he can come back and be our defensive coach, eh? Maybe. Um, okay, go for your quiz then. So I think this is going to have to be a two-part of this Tony Pulis quiz because there's so much you could do. So this is Tony Pulis part one. <laughs> are you two ready? Yep, we're ready. Do we just out the answer or are we doing it one after the other? Yeah, you, we can... you can combine yourselves. This this is the okay. first... This is, so obviously this is Tony Pulis part one. This is going to be like early doors Pulis. So it's probably right in your ear a few of these actually Liam as well like right in your uh, sweet spot brilliant bring it on uh, number one who did TP face in his first game as state manager Walsall he did <laughs> I was there <laughs> we lost 4-2 I was just going to say can you remember the score yeah and he got the the fans were already chanting you don't know what you're doing because he took off Bjarni Good Johnson and um brought on I think Andy Cook someone like isn't it funny the things you remember I couldn't tell you four things that happened in the game last week but I can remember exactly what happened in that first game under Tony Pulis when we looked doomed to relegation back to League One <laughs> it's like I what I think what I seem to remember a lot is like the boss camp season for me I think I went to quite <laughs> most of the away games there there was always something going on as well wasn't there so it was like I seem to remember like fine details like the Luton game away there. Obviously, I know, and I was just thinking about this when I was playing Luton last week. Last week, um, obviously the the coin own goal and then the Gallagher winner right at the end and just flipping the result right around in the last two minutes. And just like say little things like that, you just just stick in your head, don't they? When you're uh, like you say years years go by and you still remember them. Yeah, I remember that same game going past somebody to somebody's back garden to get to your seat. <laughs> Long live Kenilworth Road. <laughs> uh, question number two. Uh, how many league games ended 0-0, 1-0 or 0-1 in a row between October 04 and February 2005? The first number that came into my head was 15. Yeah, I think seven. Uh, you know, I did, this was in, um, this was in the book Twin River Reykjavik, available now on Amazon. Um, I think <laughs> it, I think 17, but maybe you're right. Could split the difference and go 16. Oh, go with your gut, mate. Go, go, go with 17. Okay, 17. 17 is correct. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, what club did Tony Pugh's manage between his two spells as Stoke manager? Right, so that was Plymouth and Palace. Yeah. So there was one club he managed. He, it was oh, between, Plymouth between yeah uh, between leaving Stoke and coming back yeah. to Stoke, he went to Plymouth, didn't he? Yeah. Do you remember when Plymouth came to Stoke as well? He didn't get the best reception then either, did he? Off the Stoke fans. I think, I think we were chanting, you know, we're not boring anymore. We're not boring anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then the following season when they came to us they were singing we're not boring anymore <laughs> and it was like well 
Yeah, but we're on the way to the Premier League in a few months' time. Well, eighteen months' time. So, who's, who's got the who's got the best end of that deal? Uh, so, next question: What was the reason given by the Icelandic board for sacking Pulis in two thousand and five? Not exploiting the foreign market. That's, yeah. that's the one. Uh, what position did we finish? In his first season back, two thousand and six slash seven. Oh, I don't know. It could. I want to say eleventh, something like that. Um, it didn't. Oh, hang on. Two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Was so? Was that? Oh, was another season narrowly missed on the playoffs? Yeah, we lost it. We we. We could have gone in the playoffs and we played QPR away. So was it maybe seventh or eighth, maybe? Yeah, I remember because we we said that all it took was a little bit a little bit more luck, stupid referee decisions. I remember the, the vague conversations. Jeez, I'm gonna go seventh. Seventh, Dan. You going for seventh? You were right. We did we play QPR on the last day of the season. Mama Sadibi scored with about five minutes to go. However, by that point, um, we needed to win, but we needed to win by about four or five goals because Southampton were already winning. And we ended up finishing eighth place. So Southampton mm-hmm. finished sixth, yeah, Preston, and we were eighth. Good shot, Liam. Yeah, Lee Hendry season. Yeah, I think, like you say, it was, um, it was a case of if we'd have just been able to bring in those signings. I mean... We only won one out of the first 10 games. And I think a lot of people were, again, turning at that point, weren't they? And then we signed Henry Griffin, um, Higginbottom, Salif Jow. Salif Jow, all before that Leeds game, didn't we? And we ended up going to Leeds and beating 4-0. And our season sort of took off from there. And you just think, like I say, that's, that's 10 games. That's like, you know, well, it's like a quarter of the season, basically. And we've only won one game there. So, you know, if we'd have just managed to get them signings in two, three weeks earlier and had, you know, three, four more games with them, you just think we probably would have just sneaked in the playoffs and we may even have gone up. But in the long term, that might not have been what was best for us. So, next question. In 2007-2008, five players hit double figures for the season. Can you name those five players? Fuller. So we got Ricardo Fuller. Correct. Liam Lawrence. Correct. Richard Creswell. Correct. I've got a feeling... Maybe like one of the defenders. Maybe Leon Court might have got that many goals there. Shawcross? They both scored a lot of goals from free kicks, corners. Shawcross and Hooth, they scored loads, didn't they? No, this no, was uh, sorry. Um, promotion season. Yeah. So it would have been on court and Ryan Shawcross. Yeah. Ryan's got to be one of them, surely. You Ryan Shawcross? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of them. Brilliant. Um, Who else do we have in midfield? Lawrence on one wing. We did have we had Eustace and then Whelan, didn't we? Um, but I don't think they would have got that many goals. No. As well played on the left, Sidibe, but I don't think he scored no. many goals. 
important goals, but not many. He's got uh, four goals. Be on court, the other one. Go court, yeah. Leon Court, yeah. Bang on. Fancy that. Two centre-halves, 20 <laughs> goals. Right, I think Shawcross scored more goals in that season than he did in the rest of his Stoke career put together. <laughs> Near enough. I think he may have got like 12 in the rest of his Stoke career. Um, so, the transfer record was broken five times by Tony Pulis uh, after Peter Coates took over the club and brought him back. So, which five players... So I'll start with 2008, a purchase for 1.2 million in January 2008. That could have been Shawcross. Um, it could have been Leon Court as well. Um, I don't know, what do you think, Mike? I was thinking defenders. I thought Shawcross was a million, but... Okay, so maybe it was Court. Leon Court? Yeah. Yes. Leon Court was bought uh, four days before Shawcross was made permanent and he was he was the first million pound football for Stoke, one point two million, and then Ryan Shawcross signed for bang on a million four days later. There you go. Yes. So that was the first time they broke the transfer record, obviously previously held by one uh, Sammy Bangora. If you do see him anywhere, please do let us know. <laughs> um, uh, that record was then smashed in the summer, obviously following promotion, uh, for a somebody who signed for five point five million pounds. Yeah, David Kitson. It was David <laughs> Kitson, secret footballer. Uh, David Kitson signed then, uh, and then the next three see next three summers we broke the record every time. So two thousand nine, um, six million pound signing. Hmm. Part of a double signing. Not the first person to be part is of a double this, signing on this list. I could have given my years wrong here, but I remember we we signed Tunshai and Hooth, didn't we, at the same time? It was part of the same deal. We did. So it, it'll be them then, Liam, won't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Let's go for Robert it. Tooth. Yes, £6 million, Robert Tooth. Okay. Uh, broke the record. And then the record was broken 12 months later at £8 million. Oh, mm. it's now, not what you now. This player reportedly, so don't come and sue me if this isn't true because this is just what reported. <laughs> <laughs> um, the club paid an extra two million pounds transfer fee to allow the club we were buying him from to continue to pay part of his wages so that he fell within our wage structure. So, that was that a crouch? Oh no, Crouchy was more than that. Was it Kenwin? It was Kenwin, yeah. Kenwin, brilliant. Yeah, so Ken, we paid Sunderland. Apparently, we Sunderland wanted six million for him. We said we'll give you eight if you continue to pay part of his wages till his contract runs out. Therefore, he wouldn't break our wage structure at the time. Um, and then 2011, it was broken. Ten million pounds. You just said him. Yeah, Peter Crouch. Crouchy. It sounds like it was a similar deal to the Kenwin one that Tony Pulis was talking about on the uh, under the cosh interview of, I'll just go and speak to the chairman, but then he doesn't actually speak to the chairman and calls them back and said, oh, we can do this deal if you throw in, you know, a few wages for a month or whatever. And it sounds like they did the same thing for both Kenwin and Peter Crouch. Yeah. Tell you what, what control Pulis had there though. 
he had yeah. full. They said he never, never dealt with the chief executive. He said, "Yeah, did you did you not sense something in his voice when he said that as well?" <laughs> yes, but a real disdain for skulls. I never dealt with the chief executive at Stoke. Compare that to how he spoke about John Rudge. You know, there was night and day. Yeah. Um, it's funny as well, like the Hooth, because obviously the, the the sort of story goes of Crouch, didn't it? That they were desperate, they wanted Crouch, they wanted Crouch, but Harry said, "Well, you can have Crouch," it, but it doesn't that doesn't fill in with what Pewis was saying there about Redknapp saying, "Well, Crouch wants to come north, so do you want to take him?" Because the original story was that Stoke were told, "Well, you can have Crouch, but you've got to take Plasios as well." That yeah, and I'm pretty sure I've heard. Peter Crouch talk about it and say that he didn't want to leave as well. So there might be a bit of embellishment going on, but we can forgive him for that. Yeah, so it's like it's funny how like that story there, and you think, um, and this sort of just dawned on me um, recently. It's like that Crouch-Palacios deal there, uh, nobody thought anything of it at the time because Palacios would have been like a perfect Pulis player in his prime, wouldn't he? He was like everything that Tony looked for in a midfielder. Um, but he just unfortunately obviously what had happened in his private life and that he just never was able to regain that form for us and it was a bit like well Tottenham were like yeah you can have the player you want as long as you take this one that we don't want anymore um, so we did that and you think back to the Hooth and Tunchai deal and it all done him was like why would Pius even sign Tunchai because he never really played him that much you could tell he's not his kind of player at all there's not there's nothing sort of. He's not strong. He's not big. He's not physical. He's not. He's not going to be able to fit into that role. Or he's, he's not. He's not um, controllable, if you like, when it comes to like tracking back and things like that. And you wonder, was it another case of well, you can have Robert Hooth, but you got to take. The, you can take this guy as well. And he's like, okay, then the fans will love him, I suppose. <laughs> I think so. Um. It's obviously that people we swan by the way. We'll we'll have part two for you next week, Mike. Uh, we'll go on from Wilk from FA Cup final onwards. Um, but obviously, have you, have you? I think you've ever both listened to that Pulis podcast with um, Under the Cosh. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No, it was really good. Anything in particular? Any particular story sticks out for you? Where you um, one story that stuck out for not being in there was actually the one where he, he came on at half time when his mum had died. I'm really surprised they didn't use that as an opportunity to um, see how amazing he was, if I'm honest. I thought that would have been an obvious one to bring up. Surprised me a little bit, but the, the, mate, there were so many stories. That, like you said, the whole chief executive was a, as an eye-opener. Interesting that you mentioned that one. Um, how much power he had, very clearly. Oh, there was so much. It's an hour and 40 minutes, and I think I could listen to it all again. Uh, it's really hard to pinpoint stories. Um, I think the other thing it, he cut off was any talk about Sheffield Wednesday when he was there, one, two straight away. He was like, right, yes, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday, listen, wrong club, wrong times. He just spoke about Stoke, didn't he? You know, he? He was forgetting players' names from Middlesbrough, and he was there, what, six years ago? But talk about 2007, and he, he'll, he'll talk your ear off. You know, some of the stories about Ricardo Fuller and. Jerry Taggart disappearing for a week and <laughs> calling up drunk and then turning up on the Saturday and putting in a blinding performance, you know, that I was getting very emotional and uh, nostalgic listening to it because it, that was a team of identity, wasn't it? And um, 
maybe at the time there was obviously a lot of frustration, frustrating times, and um, we we remember the good times more than the bad times. But we for that period where we just clicked, he just had the best squad, and it it was it would be great to have like a, a team like that again. I saw somebody comment on Twitter that like we don't have any songs about any players anymore, and we've still got. 15 songs from players from that time just because we connected with them as much as they connected with each other and with the fans and that's something that's missing at the moment and it'd be great if if we could find that again and and Tony Pulis said that himself that you know hopefully Alex Neal can find something that can take us back to the Premier League or just give us a team to be proud of again. Yeah I can definitely see the sort of the similarities between the two as well I think he probably sees thing like his sort of strengths and, and his sort of morals and everything in Alex Neal as well. I think they they pretty much cut for the same cloth, aren't they, on a lot of things. Sounds okay. Um I think that pretty much ties up uh, the pod for this week. So uh for one thing we always forget to mention and I'm gonna mention it now. So if anyone is listening still then firstly well done. Uh secondly we do obviously have the social medias. Everyone seems to follow us on Twitter these days but uh, it's every step along uh, if you don't at the minute and we do have a Facebook group so just search every step along the way on the Facebook group and uh, that's kind of uh, growing nicely um, and some good interaction on there as well now so um, yeah make sure you follow us on there. Uh, Liam as always really good to speak to you again uh, I want you to come back on soon always a, always a good chat um, and uh, Dan well I guess I'll put up with you and um, importantly there is a pod coming up on Monday, isn't there? Because we have a midweek match, if I remember rightly. Um, so there'll be another pod out on uh, on Monday. Uh, so normal time, 6am Monday, and you'll have another pod for the pod. And then I think we've got another Saturday and then another uh, Tuesday game again, I think, if I remember rightly. I've got a fixture three, in front of me. Three, three midweek games in a row now. So there you go. You're going to get are, three midweek pods. We are such prolific FA Cup winners. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you're going to get three midweek pods as well as your normal Friday pods. So, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Um, So, yeah, guys, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you all um, in a few days. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.